1: Learn more at microsoft.com slash AI for all. Survivor
2: 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week.
1: We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner.
0: Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor Podcast wherever you get your podcast.
1: Oh, the shark
2: babe has such teeth there.
0: And it shows them pearly white. Just a jack knife has old Maggie Baby. And it keeps it uh, out of sight. You know when that shark.
2: So, welcome everybody to this latest episode of Macklin's Take with me, Andy Clark, Matt Macklin, as always. And we're back in the the second city. We've been up here once before, but it's always good uh, to pay it a visit. And we're in the company of a world champion, one of the UK's reigning world champions, our longest reigning world champion. In fact, he's got a huge fight coming up against Roman Gonzalez defending his WBA title. It is, of course, Cal, your five, fresh from, uh, from training, fresh from a, a sparring session with Jay Harris, who will feature on that, on that same bill. Cal, how are you feeling? How's everything?
1: I'm feeling great. Everything's going smooth.
2: So on the way up, I was thinking to myself what we would talk to you about other than that, that fight, and, and we will get on to that. But we like to find a little angle for things generally on this rather than just talk about just the obvious. And as I was thinking about it, into my head pops a conversation we had before your fight in Monaco. So not last November, but the November before, we were sat on a balcony outside one of the rooms in the Monte Carlo Bay Hotel with the, the waves crashing on the on the rocks outside us. You're about to defend uh, your title against Israel Gonzalez. You'd weighed in, so it's fight week and, and fighters generally kind of have their invincibility cloak on at that point. And I remember saying to you, did you ever think that boxing would bring you somewhere like this? You know, this is a pretty special place. And, and what normally happens when you ask someone a question like that during fight week is they might not say unequivocally, yes, I 100% knew this was going to happen. But generally they will say, yeah, I always knew I'd be a world champion. I was always laser focused. Uh, there was never any doubt in my mind, my mind. And I'm going to win this fight tomorrow. I'm going to go and I'm, I'm going to unify. And I asked you and you just said, no, I absolutely not. I never thought the boxing would bring me here. Not in a million years when I first started boxing and, and boxed as an amateur, I was no good at all i couldn't buy a win early in my career, and I'd have laughed at you if you said this and I sat there and I thought, wow, that is really i wasn't expecting it because that's not normally that's not normally what you get so would you say that in that regard you're you're a bit different from other fighters you don't necessarily feel the need to to front it out quite as much as as everybody else
1: yeah um let I'll just put it out there, I was absolutely terrible as a fighter when I first started. Um I lost seven seven amateur fights in a row out of my first thirteen fights. Like I remember fighting in these social clubs not far from here. Matthew, no, I I boxed my I had my first amateur fight in Vaughan's in Hall Green. <laughs> so,
0: I, I, so I definitely would have been there the, do you know what actually
1: I think you said it. I can remember uh there was, there was talk
0: one time that you were going to box Seamus, weren't there? You were meant yeah, to yeah, box him. yeah, yeah. I think you got the flu or it didn't box yet. I remember that
1: actually. I remember that day. Yeah, there. I boxed a, a kid called Tom Cheney and just had a mad wall in a, in a heap of smoke because he was smoking indoors back then. Um, you won that though, didn't you? Yeah, I, yeah, that was my first fight. I won my first fight and then I won. I then lost my second, won my third, lost my fourth, then then I lost about seven in a row and it got to a point where it was like everybody wanted me to just give up boxing. Even mum wanted me to give up boxing. It worked for me. Um... But then I moved club, I I seen one of my friends, um, a kid called Michael Bailey, on the bus on the way back from school, and he said to me, you should come out, Jim. So I thought, yeah. I said to him, where's the gym? He said, Brook, Stratford Road. So I went down there, I seen Franco Sullivan, who looked exactly the same then as he does now. and um, And It looked like that 30 (laughs) years ago as well, (laughs) by the way. (laughs) And, um, And yeah, I started training there, and I won my next 16 fights and then I lost the fight and then I won my next 14 15 fights and then that was it then I was on my way so what what kept you going through the defeats then what what made you keep going back i get i, I don't know i keep getting asked the same question but i don't know i just i i, I love boxing i love the uh, i don't know I just loved everything about it. I love having the I love having the scrap so i just uh what club was that that you lost the hopmouth oh, are you Hobbs started, out, yeah
0: yeah
1: hopmouth I mean, what, what well, that you? explains it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> what took you down to the gym in the first place?
1: Um, well, my mum my mom first took Gamal down to Franco Sullivan's gym in um, the Cauliflower area in uh, in Digbeth. And he said he said he's too young. So I went with him there with my mum. And I didn't want to box then. It was just him. And he, he goes, he's too young. you have to bring him back in a couple of years. So my mum found another gym, Hobbs Mount. And she took him there. And about three or four weeks later... Um, I went to pick him up with my mom, and um, while I was waiting for him to finish, I, I had to go on the bags, and I was ducking and diving like I was Prince and Scene, and um, I thought, yeah, this is all right. I thought I was, I thought I was, I thought I was good, but little did I know it was horrendous. But um, I started boxing and then started doing it, started doing it a bit, and just fell in love with it. All, to, all, all—it was all just while watching Prince and Scene.
2: I think that's a fairly familiar story for, for lots of fighters of your age and, and, and even a bit, a bit older. You need, you need someone to aspire to be like, even if you're not really like them at all in terms of, in terms of your personality. Boxing just attracts so many different kinds of characters. And what, one thing I always find interesting is that I, I think people who aren't really that familiar with boxing will we'll look at the likes of yourself in the ring and What you're able to do uh, and the success that you've had, and just assume that all boxers are just born bulletproof, that from day one, you know nobody's going to pick on you, you're never going to have any problems, everything would have been a breeze growing up. But it's just not true, is it? I speak to so many fighters who were overweight when they were young, or they were they were bullied at school, and that's how they found their way to the gym. It's the the, the, the range of characters in this sport's unbelievable.
1: Yes, yeah, it's a. It's, uh I was nothing like that. I was just a quiet kid. Don't get me wrong. Me, me and me and Gamal in school, we were like tearaways. We were teachers' nightmares, getting into fights all the time. You know, teachers would look at us and they think, oh, not them to. We were we were proper nightmares in school. Um, Galow was completely different. Galow was lucky. Galow went to a different school. We went to Kingsley Boys' School, which was known to be kind of a rough school and it, it was a bit of a hellhole. But uh, Galow went to Light Hall in Sollyar, so he was all right. But uh, we 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 get into some we get into a lot of trouble, but we weren't bulletproof. You know what I mean? We were we were pretty quiet and shy at the same time.
0: It's it's funny when you say you were talking
1: then, Andy, about the um, everyone
0: assuming that you know top top amateurs and that, and even and when and sorry when uh Kyle was talking there about how many he lost early on. You know, it, it, it's mad really. Even myself, when I turned professional, I did turn pro with like a big amateur pedigree coming into it because the last few years of my amateur career had been so successful and I was probably always a good amateur. I was a good amateur from my first fight, won my first four. But after that, you know, I did have plenty of losses. You know, I never won a schoolboy title. After 18 fights, I'd won 12, last six. But, you know, I think I only lost another eight or nine after that for the rest of my amateur career. Do you know what I mean? But it's, it's hearing you talking, then you mentioned that hey, I thought I'm going to throw that bit in because it is, it is, it is a bit of a, it can be a bit of a myth, you know there are a lot of really, really good amateurs uh, that end up really good amateurs, you know as a senior, as an international boxer, but you know early on in the school, boys, in those, in those days, I mean when you're six stone, it's three rounds <laughs> <laughs> and you just both go in at it. You, I mean, you know what I mean? a lot of those fights are so close. I mean I, I think I lost uh, out of those six, I think they were all. Majority decision losses, and I absolutely believed that I'd been rubbed out of sight. But the reality was, it was two six-stone 11-year-olds going at it. It probably could have gone either way. Do you know what I mean? It was a majority, but it was... Uh, I mean, I mean it's, um, there's so many of those... I mean, I think it was Alan Minter lost his first six... You know, went on to win a Olympic bronze medal, world champion. But your 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 story there, seven in a row that that takes a bit of sticking <laughs> with it, man. Because it's when you when you lose a fight, you feel so deflated, and especially if you think you won it and you didn't get it. And of course, you always think you won it. It's like to keep going after seven. That's that to me. If I was if I was in the gym that and I'd seen a kid and I seen that he'd lost seven and he was still coming back, I think something in that kid. He's got some character because. You know, you feel really down you lose a fight and it's the end of the world. Well, it was for me when I lost every time it
1: was the end of the world and, you know, crying my eyes out and this is pain and I don't ever want to feel this again. Yeah, I used, but, to, I used to cry a lot, man. I used to cry a lot. But I don't know. I think it was just meant to be.
2: Well, Joe Lewis lost his first amateur fight and got, got knocked down seven times. I mean, there's, there's a long list of fighters who lost their first pro fights, but you, you've got to get through the amateurs to get to the pros. So I think what happens to you in those early days is it definitely shapes you doesn't it and when you came through that that losing run and came out of it did you kind of think to yourself maybe not right at that point but since then it's not going to get any harder than that no matter what i go on to do i've i've kind of been i've been as low as i can go almost
1: yeah i was i was tested early so um i kind of knew that nothing can really Bother me, um, you know. Nothing really phases me. I'm kind of. I'm that's my kind of personality. Nothing phases me. Nothing scares me. I just, I just get on with everything. The tough challenges, things like that. Tough times. I just get through everything. Um, nothing, nothing phases me at all now. Especially, I think that helped shape me. Yeah, I think without a doubt, losing seven on the spot, seeing mates
0: win and going having to go into school and I how hey, you get on last night?" Ugh. Oh, I lost, you know yeah. that. No, you know what I mean? That that builds a lot of character in you, definitely. And I, I, I remember when Cal was coming through, actually, because I remember he uh, you won the World Cadets, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, and I remember thinking, did he win the World Cadets? Because I, I know you'd won some last, some you meant to about Shams to a couple of times, and then he'd, he'd won that. And I thought, fair play to him. And I think that was probably a turning point for you, then, was it? You kind of went on to win for obviously you'd, you were always down the England squad, but to, to win the World Cadets.
1: I think you probably kicked on to another level then, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. So so basically, my first tournament uh, was the European cadets, which was a couple of months before the Worlds, and I got silver there. I lost to a Russian guy in uh, in Hungary, and then I went to the Worlds, and then I won them. And then, um, where did I go after that? I had a few junior tournaments, and I kept winning them all, basically. Um, And then I went to the World Juniors. And then I went in ABAs. I was only just turned seventeen, and then went in the ABA's. I didn't box many people. I boxed twice in the whole ABA's. I had a lot of pullouts under final week, and I was like, I started thinking like, why do people want to pull out from me? Like I'm a light flyweight. I'm not known as a puncher. I'm just kind of. I was a boxer back then who'd hit a move and never get involved. And then, um, and then I won ABA's in 2006. Well, uh, I boxed Paul Butler in the final, and um, that was that was a that was a big ABA final because it was like there was guys like Luke Campbell. Um the Walsh Walsh I think the Walsh brothers were in it. James the Gale, George Groves, people at you know, um no George Groves, yeah, David Price, people at Bally Um so it was it was a big thing. And I remember going going from from the hotel to York Hall and I was I had to get on the bus full of scousers and uh and Tony Bally said to I had my headphone, Tony Bally said to me, You boxing butler ain't you lad. I was like, Yeah, he was always gonna smash her. And I was thinking to myself, yeah, we'll see. Because I still had that cockiness about me. But I was like, yeah, we'll see. But it was intimidating because I was on a bus full of Scousers and, and then I've got Bellevue saying that to me. I was thinking, yeah, we'll see. So I knew I had to, I had to, uh, I had to win that night.
2: <laughs> that, that's typical Bellevue, isn't it? I, he probably would have said it with oh. a kind of smile on his face. Yeah, but yeah just
1: de- that's exactly how it was. Just delivered it
2: like it was a fact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, this is what's going to happen. <laughs> Sometimes when we have our, our our meetings before fight nights and we'll go through the card and people all talk about how they think it might go. Uh, B- 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 Bellew's resume usually takes about 30 seconds bang 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 he's going to win he's going to win she's going to win he's going to win he's going to win and then you might say oh no Tony I'm not sure about that and then if, if I disagree with him most of the time he'll just kind of like pat me on the knee and just say there there lad
1: <laughs> <laughs> but-, but me and Bellew get on really well get on really well now and, he- and he's kind of like followed my career all the way through as a pro even in my early fights when, when there weren't many people there I would see Tony ringside shouting for me and you know He's always a, He's a top top lad.
2: I think a lot of people probably some people might not even realize just what you did as an amateur because you went to the Olympics and that's in, in 2008 you won that ABA title in 2006 that, that's 14 years ago 12 years ago. It doesn't really seem possible almost because you did that when you were just when, when you were so young. Yeah. I mean it must have, amateur days when when we talk to fighters generally pretty much everybody their face just kind of lights up when they talk about their amateur days because because pro boxing's different it, there's just so many more headaches it, it seems to me but those those years gone by where you were travelling the world and you were doing
0: it purely for the love of it, you're grinning now just yeah, yeah, thinking yeah, about it, it.
1: It's, the best, it's the best time of your life Without a
0: doubt because you, you're young you're carefree you're with your mates and it's a real exciting time yeah yeah, isn't yeah, yeah. It? you know where anything's possible you, you know, got, you, got all, you know you're looking at the pro game as if like God, when we win this and we'll go pro and blah blah but then you get to a pro <laughs> and you realise just how hard it is and how how, how snaky it can be and, and, and how w- wonderful it is as well you know the, it's the best and the worst times isn't it the pros but I think the amateur Jays are just good days they're just the, you know the pro game I love it as well and, and Cal obviously loves it and he loves what it's given him and the opportunity and the, the dreams. he's going to America and he's fighting so of course he loves it and, 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 and the life it's given him but you know there are there are hard times in the pros as well where I think in the amateurs generally speaking it's just good times
1: yeah amateurs is it's it's carefree you're getting paid good money um everything's covered your food your medical your your accommodation your travel everything's everything's sorted you're just there to train and have basically have the crack with your mates after training and go in, traveling the world all covered you you just gotta make weight and fight so, how was the Olympic Games then?
2: Because Beijing—that's that, an interesting destination for a start. You are still a teenager; uh, a lot's happened really quickly. And I covered the Olympic Games in in, in London and, and was around it for a for a couple of weeks, and it's it's an unbelievable event. I mean, it's the size of it is is absolutely mind boggling, and with all these different sports involved, and, and an entire city, no matter where it is in the world everything in that city for that two weeks becomes about that one thing, nothing else. I mean, when you're in the village and stuff, can you sort of, do you realise that?
1: Not at the time, but you, you realise how many distractions there are. You know, you've got arcades, you've got loads of activities to do, you've got food everywhere, you know, you know mile-long food halls with free McDonald's and things like that. And, and I remember Terry Edwards saying to us when we first got there that don't be distracted by... Um, by a lot of the things that are going on here and um, we had we had like a GB team meeting with all the sports one afternoon and um, we got told to be there by a certain time and that was like a couple of hours before he told us not to be distracted and next thing you know me and Billy Joe Saunders in an arcade playing a basketball game trying to beat the score on the basketball hoops and then a couple of minutes later we've got Terry Edwards grabbing us by our necks and pulling us out because <laughs> we're late to the meeting because we got distracted by it so it, there are some distractions there. Um but at the same time it's just it's just a mad occasion, it's just unbelievable. In, in terms of the in terms of the whole event,
2: the opening ceremony and things like that, were you able to were you able to, to take it in? Did did you walk away from it feeling like you'd really experienced it? Because you know that this might not it might ha- might not happen again.
1: Yeah, um I, I was lucky enough to do the opening ceremony. Um I've done it with uh, like Tony Jeffries and Joe Murray. Um, it was it was it was a it was it was an unbelievable experience, and they've done it big. Um, so I was glad I was glad I'd done it, and I I, I always say to Galal as well now, when he goes away to these big tournaments and that, to soak it all in because you don't get to you, these are memories you've got with you forever, and not, there's only a small minority of people that get to do it. Um, and at the time, he's always like, oh no, nah, I just want to just want to fight and then get on. And he said the same in Brazil. I said to him, "Soak it all in, go and see all the sites and everything, do everything, because it's good and, and these are memories to, to, that you'll remember forever." And he didn't. He didn't do it. But then, when I spoke to him not long ago, about it, he was like, "Oh, we said on done that." I
2: mean, it's always easy to, particularly when particularly when you're young, it's always easy to look back on, on missed opportunities, I guess. And and you 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 stayed in the amateurs for, well, pretty much all the way up to the next Olympics because you, you did actually qualify for London, but, but so did Andrew Selby. And so you had to box off and and he got through. And that, I mean, Olympic qualification is a really, really difficult thing and, and hearts are broken all over the world every four years. I mean, how, how did that feel to actually, you've qualified, but you're not going to end up going?
1: Yeah, it was... Um it was a mad situation because me and Andrew Salby were we were mates. Like we were good mates and that we had done loads of sparring. We'd boxed each other twice before. Before that Olympic game before that uh yeah, before that Olympics. So um I'd beat him twice already, so I was confident. Um but we went to the worlds together. I qualified first, but then I was over the moon that'd qualified, but then half an hour later he qualified. So it was like, okay, so it ain't done yet. Um, and then he got to the final and I was told if he won the goal there he'd automatically go so it was a bit of a hard situation like I'm sitting there with the team and all cheering for him but I was like praying they lost
2: Yeah I was going to say they, they, those kinds of scenarios are really difficult aren't they because I think again that, that that's an honest answer because a lot of people would say that, that you know you wanted him to win gold because he's your friend but of course you don't want him to win no, no, because, no, because you want to go to the Olympics and I know I know GB is a team but boxing is not a team sport.
1: No, and and when he lost, I, I was over the moon. I was like, okay, so now it's on, and and then that was it. Became an awkward, a bit of an awkward situation where we just, we couldn't talk to each other, and and he had to train in Sheffield and I trained in Sheffield, and we had to train at different times, and it was awkward. But um, and then he beat me in the first fight. He got it spot on. He was in the he was he was in his form. He was in the form of his life, and I wasn't. Um, and he beat me fair and square. And then obviously I had weight issues and hand issues, and I, I failed to wait the next day, and he, he he was through, and I just went into a kind of a mood of depression for about two months. Yeah,
0: I was going to say that that was a bitter
1: pill for you to swallow, and you you know you've been
0: Beijing, bit young there, but you're thinking right, London's coming around. I'll be I'll be good for that. bum, bomb, bomb. You, you you know you're performing well. You've You've qualified. You think you're going, and then that happens, and it's someone you know. Oh, can I can I imagine that was emotionally a difficult time. Not to, to let yourself get, you know, full of self pity. I suppose you could, you know, you, who wouldn't feel sorry for themselves in that situation? But and and then to it's someone that is your mate. It is yeah, someone. You, yeah. It's not nothing against him. You do want to see him do well, but obviously not at your own cost. I know, and then you just feel like the system's probably, yeah, n- yeah, you don't yeah. really, as
1: opposed did it. Yeah, that's our fault. And uh, I just spent weeks in my apartment back at home, and I was just like, oh, I didn't want to move anywhere. I didn't want to go anywhere. I didn't want to show my face. Um, I didn't go back to Sheffield for a good few months. Um, I got asked if I wanted to go to a warm weather training camp in Mauritius, so I was like, nah. Um, and then I ended up going to New York with my missus spent some time out there and stuff like that. And then I went back, like, uh, I think it was mid to end of January next year and um, yeah I put on a load of weight on. I was ridiculously out of shape and then I started training again and and I just had to wait I had to wait and see what was what I couldn't turn pro straight away because I was a reserve for the Olympic Games um, because I'd qualified and then it was it just come to a point in like April time where I just thought enough oh, enough's enough I've got to move on with my with my career now Hey, kids. hey, everybody, sitting here
0: with a famous Slovenian philosopher. How are you doing, sir? I am uh, in health, thank you. Are you uh, excited about something? I am excited about this latest uh, CIA-funded venture. A CIA venture?
2: Yes. yes,
0: it's called the Desire and Capital Podcast. Oh, what is it about? I refuse your fascist question. Well, there you have it. Listen
1: to the Desiring Capital podcast coming soon to a bourgeois platform near you. On your marks, get set, go. This is so crazy!
2: The way you describe it, there that sounds that does sound tough. I mean, we talked earlier about the the string of defeats early on being testing, but that that kind of idea of somebody not wanting to leave their house because of a defeat because of a situation that that's occurred it's i mean it's almost kind of hard to hear in a way because you just think you haven't done anything wrong it's just you've just come out slightly second best in an incredibly competitive environment were, were you at any point thinking you know that you were done with boxing at that stage
1: no no i never never thought i was done i just thought i always knew then i thought that's it then now it's time to look forward to turning pro because I've done, I've I've been around a long time in the amateur system. I've I've done two Olympic cycles. It's like it's time to do it. I'm still young, but at the same, I tried to take the positives out of it. Like I stayed for an Olympic another Olympic cycle. I gained a lot of experience traveling and boxing at a top level. Um, if I turned pro after Beijing, I would have been just I would have been just turned nineteen, and to turn pro as a, as a flyweight back then um, with no Olympic medal. It would have been hard for me to, you know, I would have been done a lot earlier than what I would be now. Um, and I don't think I would have made the same kind of money that I have done now. So in the, at the same time, I've gained a lot of experience and it, it stood me in good stead for when I was ready to turn pro at 23.
0: Yeah, I, I think without a doubt, you did the right thing. Staying, I think, uh, allowing yourself to mature physically, mentally, emotionally, in every in every which way. Um, also, outside of yourself, the landscape within the UK, the kind of, the growth of Matchroom, the, the things changing at Sky, fell into place nicely for you, where if you'd have gone pro in 2008 or 9, 10, it wasn't a good, good mm. you know, boxing on Sky then, wasn't, it was terrible, it wasn't a good place, there was, it was barely hanging in there, uh, as a broadcaster within the sport of boxing, you know, that that it, it'd gone so downhill, but I think 2011, I think it was 11, 10, 11, when, you know, Eddie Hearn, Matru, Sky sat down and, and, and changed things. It's you know, it gone like that since. And so I think even at factors aside from yourself, the fact that you waited and, 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 uh, and went when you did, I think you did the right thing without a doubt. Yeah. So I'm curious to know, because I've never really
2: asked anyone this, when, when you decide that you're going to turn professional uh, and everybody would have expected that you were going to do it at some point, obviously, and you're a name and people know who you are, uh, and your signature will be one that that people will want. What do you What do you do? What, what What's the first thing? Literally, what's the first thing that you do? Do you How do you tell people I'm I'm going to turn professional? What do you What's the first call you make?
1: Um, I I got some advice of a few people what I should do, and then I spoke to Eddie Hahn first, and um, I went down there. And I, had, I had a chat with him and stuff like that, and. And yeah, it kind of went from there. Really, I never spoke to any other promoters. I just um, I spoke to Eddie, and I was like, he's he's a man I want to turn pro with.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, Eddie was the man back then. He's the man now here in this country. He was the man then, and I suppose Cal would have been lucky, really, in the sense that you're in the GB setup. You'd have been. You you would have had a close relationship with Robert McCracken. You had, yeah. had a close relationship with Robert. Robert had a good relationship with Eddie, so there was a nice little conveyor belt there really it
1: was all kind of set up for you i suppose yeah yeah 100 yeah. percent. that's exactly how it was and and uh yeah we, we didn't do it we didn't we didn't do a deal straight away i didn't turn pro straight away because that wasn't i first met eddie in january and um it wasn't it wasn't time and weren't the right deal for me to turn pro until we eventually done the sky thing in april and then everything was uh everything went really smooth from then and I turned pro in yeah it was april they announced me and then um, the first match room show I went to was Frotch um, Beauty. And. Um, what a night. <laughs> I actually smashed my leg. I'd done my leg in on that night. Cause I, I mean, if you see it, you can see it when um, when he stops the fight. And I jump up on the chair. But it's one of them chairs that flat back. And my leg got caught in the middle. And he <laughs> scraped all the skin off my, off my leg. <laughs> that, that's what? an absolutely
2: brilliant kind of introduction though if you were you know you're looking to sign with a new promoter and you go to that night I I will never forget that night it was it was quite early on in my um, early days for me I was covering the undercard for Sky Ian Dark was doing top of the bill and the atmosphere was just it's still probably the best atmosphere I've experienced at a fight it was off the charts when when Frotch came into
1: no easy way out. Yeah, yeah, it was the best. It was by far the best show I've, I've ever been to. And you would have known him too because he yeah, used to yeah, go yeah. to Sheffield a lot, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. I went in changing rooms before and spoke to him and seen how he was and and um, yeah, I, I knew I knew Frotch. You know, and he's he's a character and he's just he's mad. But yeah, we got a few stories of it, stories about him. Yeah, <laughs>
0: that that, that's, that night, that atmosphere that high, that buzz, you're, you're turning pro,
1: like you say, you're thinking, I want a piece of this. I want, I want that feeling. Oh, after that night, I was buzzing. I, I was shadow boxing back to the car and everything. I thought, yeah, this is... I can't wait to make my debut. I was asking Eddie when's the debut, you know, it was, and then I made my debut in July on the Carl show in Sheffield, which is handy. And, um, yeah, that was it. So, so when you sat down with Eddie...
2: With Matt Truman and with Eddie particularly, a big thing with them is is that they're honest with their with their fighters, mm-hmm. and they they won't necessarily tell you what you want to hear, but they'll tell you how it is and what they can do for you and how they see things going. So, what did? How were those initial conversations with him? I'm not talking about money or anything like that, but obviously you're at a lower weight, and that makes things harder. Yeah. What did he? How was it? Did you come away from it thinking, "Oh, brilliant! Yeah, this is this is great. There's a plan in place." Or did you come away from it thinking? Think this might be a bit harder than I thought, or how was it?
1: The first meeting I had in January with him, I I went away thinking um, we didn't even talk figures or anything like. He said he'd send me an email. When I got the email, I was like, "No, I'm not really interested in turning pro for that kind of deal." Um, But in the second meeting, I walked away. We saw we basically just crushed everything and done everything there, and then and I walked away happy. And um, yeah, I thought, yeah, this is it, perfect. and it was just it was just it was a basic kind of conversation and it was it was different to I think what normal pros do and when they go and they, I remember the first time I went down and Barrio and come in and it was like where's the entourage and normally fighters come with loads of people and things like that and it wasn't. I won't like that. I like I'm I'm the kind of person who likes to do things, you know, in person and I like to be involved in everything. I don't take an entourage.
0: I love that, a bit like myself as I said to you, I that time when I fought uh, Sergio Martinez at Madison Square Garden, and I turned up outside with my with my bag and just me and my brother and walked in, Brian Peters, my manager, Buddy McGirt, they were all already inside and you know, that's that's the way it is. I think the end of, 'cause for me, I always think imagine having all those people in the changing room with you and then they get out and it's just you in the ring, <laughs> you're gonna feel lonely. But yeah. if you're a lone ranger anyway. You get used to feeling lonely because, like boxing, is lonely. You know, no one can do the fight for you. And, nah. and I was always like that too. Cal, uh, the fact that you said there, you like to be there, you like to know what's happening. And I think it's each to their own. But for me, I always felt, and I would say this to all the boxers: you know, be about your business. Know yeah, what's happening in your career. Know what you're getting paid. What who's getting what? Everyone else is getting paid because no point crying ten years down the line when you left it to someone else. This is your life, your business, your career, and you should know.
1: What everyone's doing,
0: what everyone's getting paid, what you're getting paid, you should you should know it all.
1: I know, I know how the sport works, and I've, I've I've you know I'm lucky to have met some good people in boxing and um, and learn. I like to be like um like a sponge and try and take as much as I can in. So when it comes to things like the finance side and things like that, I want to I want to know what I'm getting, so I want to be there. I want to hear it from from the horse's mouth himself, and and when it's time to get paid for things, even outside of boxing. I want to be paid first, and I'm the one who wants to pay everybody else, not the other way around. Hey everybody, this is Moto G. Pete from the Nokomoto Motorcycle Podcast. Join us every week while we rate, review, ride, philosophize and generally obsess over every single motorcycle, make, model, and style that could possibly exist, plus news and racing. That's the Nokomoto Motorcycle Podcast for Moto One Podcast Network Studios.
2: Well, it sounds like an obvious thing to say that you should be on top of your business and, and know where everything's going, but, but it's not that many people who actually do. It's not that many fighters, athletes across the board, really, who, who actually have that kind of attention to, to detail, really, in terms of the, the career progression. Do you think that the lower weights? Well, it's different now because over the last two or three years, super flyweights begun to get a lot of a lot of traction, mainly due to the man that you're you're fighting at the end of February, um, Roman Gonzalez. Do you think it's is it only right that that the smaller fighters, the smaller men, as people like to call
1: them, have have, have got more of a profile recently? Hundred percent. Yeah, it's you know we bring we bring entertainment to the table. Um, the The smaller guys you see you know the technical side of it the speed and uh, there's there is a lot of power flying around when you look at all the top fighters in the smaller divisions there there is there is a lot of knockouts um so we're entertaining to watch so I think it's only it's only right
2: and you've been kind of you've been kind of circling haven't you because you won that world title at the end of two thousand and sixteen had a couple of defenses and then it, the last two years really have been have been frustrating because I've covered your, your last three fights and, and the one in in America in May 2018 against David Carmona, Juwan and Carhas was on the same bill, top-ranked bill. This was pre-Dazone. And the idea was that you'd both win and then you'd fight each other. Yeah. And you both did win. His fight was pretty dull. Yours wasn't. Yours was, was entertaining. And then that didn't happen. Then you had to... to wait around basically until the end of the year when you had uh, a voluntary in, in Monaco that we referred to earlier on, which wasn't your best performance, but it was a kind of underwhelming occasion for yeah. you probably. Uh, and then mid-June last year, just the one fight last year, it, it was a mandatory, but again, it wasn't an inspiring kind
1: of fight. And,
2: and this fight against Gonzalez is just badly, badly what you needed.
1: Yeah, 100%. Um when I when I boxed against in against Carmona in Fresno, that was the whole point with to box and Carhas. and then after that they just did not want to know about the fight. It was it was a bizarre situation because I thought it was the whole point. And
0: it, I, I remember that fight because it was, cause it was uh, we, we did it at Sky, and it was uh, you you perform really well, and, and listen, you, you perform well in in lots of fights that you've won that probably. From a, a casual fan point of view, weren't exciting to watch. Andy said they're quite underwhelming, hard to get up for. And I, I don't know what that feels like mm. in a fighter, and it's you're always scared. I'm watching you, and obviously, I'm, you know, working for Sky and I'm calling the fights to see it. But obviously, I want you to win. I've known you since you were a kid, like you say yeah, back yeah. in the day in porns. <laughs> so of course, I want you to win. And and, and your, your biggest worry, my biggest worry for you would have been that you're going to end up not getting up for one of these fights, underperforming, going a bit stale, and someone that isn't anywhere near as good as you, but just is really fired up, is just going to kind of come in and outwork you and just hustle you out of it. And it didn't happen in Monaco, and I thought you won the fight, but it was, you know, a close fight, a closer fight than what it should have been for someone like that against yourself. And that was always the danger for me. And I remember thinking... He needs a big fight. like, and, and I know you have to wait and be patient. And, and you, you think in the end, Car has fight is going to be that big fight. Didn't happen. But now, Chocolito, that that's, the, that's the first, second, third, fourth, and fifth choice. If you could pick an opponent, he ticks every single box. Big name, aggressive, throws loads of punches, should definitely bring the best out in you. And you know you're not going to think you're not gonna, you can't look at it like this, but probably not quite what he was, but he, but his, his name is still very very strong, and this should be a big launch pad for you now to really catapult you into the you know the the, the bigger fights, the bigger you know the bigger marquee name fights.
1: Yeah, hundred um, percent. I've had the, I've had another ta- another period of tough times where I've had to wait and be patient and have these defenses. Um, I was I was meant to fight Donnie Nietes for the WBO title in April last year, and um, I had a hand injury, and we tried to push that back four four weeks later. But then he ended up vacating his title because he had a mandatory put on him, and it was like it just it was mad how it all happened. And I had my manager put on me, and and then we signed for the Estrada fight for mid December, and then he pulled out with a hand injury. That was pushed back to January 30th this year, and then he pulled out again, and I was just like. What is going on? Like, I couldn't believe my luck, and then obviously the Chocolatito fight come along, and um, yeah, I I just can't wait for that. It's, it's just I'm so excited. I haven't been this excited since I probably challenged for the World Title. Now this is the, this is the perfect fight. This is the perfect fight, the perfect time, and
0: you know, they're saying everything happens for a reason. All going well, and you get the win against Chocolatito. I think that will give you the confidence and self belief. Not saying you didn't have it anyway, but it'll give you that extra kick. Go and it'll give you momentum. And I think if you get the Estrada fight, then you'll
1: really bounce into that fight, and you'll be glad that everything happened yeah, the way yeah. it did. Hundred percent. Yeah, that's how I think. And I was thinking that the other day. I was I was just walking round in my garden the other day. And I was thinking about the same.
2: You just have to keep the faith, don't you? That things are going to that things are going to to work out. And I always think it's quite an interesting subject motivation generally but particularly in sport because it's very easy for people to say well if you're a world champion then how can you not be how can you be under motivated to defend to defend a a world title and and when you were younger before you were one that might have been a difficult thing to understand yourself but as you rise through levels you've got this belt but you don't just want it to end there you're not in this just to I say just to defend that and keep hold of that. You want to, you want to progress. And boxing is one of these mad sports. Probably, probably the only really sport that's like this in that there are no guarantees of anything. Just because you become a champion, it doesn't mean that the other champions are going to want to fight you.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's not guaranteed. And it's, 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 it's for me, it's been difficult because at the same time, I get a lot of stick for it. But it's not. A lot of people don't know the what goes on behind the scenes, and it's been it's been difficult at times. But I would say like somebody said, like, oh, when are you gonna fight this guy, when are you gonna fight this guy? And I was like, you know what? Just whatever's meant to be is meant to be. It's like when it, it'll all fall into place and it has done and, and in that time I've you know, I've gained some experience, I've I've had a few a uh, few twelve rounders and got the got some more experience in the in the bag and I, I've I've earned good money at the same time. So you know, I can't grumble and say, Oh, I've had a terrible couple of years as a champion. Because it, like I said, I was trying to take positive things out of it as well, and, and now I'm ready to um to, to take on the big challenges. As as I kind of said, sort of said that earlier, but I'll, I'll
0: just rephrase it differently. There was a, there was a period there where you were winning fights, but. You weren't setting the world on fire, and that was because you were underperforming, and you were underperforming in my opinion because you went a bit stale, lack of motivation, as Andy said, and I. But I think mo- mo- another word for motivation could be excitement. Yeah. Once you stop feeling excited and in love with the sport, it becomes a bit of a job. And this is the hard, when this becomes a job, it's too hard to be a job. The only thing, the thing that gets you through it is the excitement, yeah. is that buzz, is that love of it. And sometimes when that, when frustration and disappointments and and you're getting let down and things aren't, aren't happening for you, you can, you can start to feel a bit sorry for yourself and you get frustrated it becomes so hard then and, and and then when it just becomes, but you still go in the gym because you know you have to be professional and you know you have to stick with it and you have to try and ride this storm out and we'll get through this one, the best one. But when you're just getting through stuff, you're never ever going to perform to the best of your ability. But but I'd imagine now, coming into this fight, I mean, I'm guessing Chocolito is the name that you've been looking at for a good few years now. Yeah. I remember when he lost the first one with Rung beside. he was really, right up there at the time, um, Tom Loeffler, you know, who's kind of, putting him on the Golovkin shows like the co-feature many, many times. He was getting big publicity for all the smaller guys because it was so exciting. And then I actually thought he nicked it the first one yeah, against I Rung did. Versailles. Obviously, he got done in the rematch. But well, HBO were devastated, weren't ah, they? Devastated. Max in the,
2: ri- in the ring afterwards, I thought I thought he was a bit unfair. He, he said to Rung Versailles, you know, you won the fight. Well, you got the decision because, yeah. because, because Gonzalez was an HBO fighter, basically, wasn't know, he? No, he was completely... And they absolutely wanted him to win. But he he didn't get it and that was a hard fight for him too and then he got fairly spectacularly knocked out in the in the second fight and people that does something to you so this could be a good time this could be the all the the biding of time that you've had to do as you said maybe it's going to work out perfectly because is he the force he was 3 years ago we we, we don't know we don't know but but generally
0: Three years older, probably not. But, but I think even, even more so than that, Andy, I think this is what what's so good about this for Cal and I was, I was, I was going to get to it, is it's that excitement factor. I'd say you're excited about this fight, where I'd say the last few you haven't been. You've trained hard. You've still gone to the gym every day. You've still made the way. But you haven't had... You haven't been going to... You, do you know what I mean? You haven't had that buzz, yeah, that it's, excitement.
1: It's a, it's, it's been the last couple of fights it has been where... I know the fight's done, and we've done the fight, and then a couple of weeks later it gets announced, and then it's all over social media, or whatever. But I see it, and I know then it's it's happening. But I'm not excited. I, it's more like I just get the feeling of just just get through the fight, just uh, get just get this done. Let's get it done. I'll give uh, and
0: I'll give you a quick example for me, and I, and then I'll i imagine this is what it's you That that's what made me think about it. I was meant to box Darren Barker in September 2010. I went over to LA. I was staying in a Vagabond, which is like a cheap budget motel next to the gym, rough as anything. It was it was tough, do you know what I mean? But the excitement of the the challenge of the fight with Darren Barker, and it was be a big fight, top of the bill of magnificent M- M- seven, gets you through those days, gets you through those weeks, and you're building up to it. I came back, Darren injured his hip, had to pull out, end up boxing a Georgian guy who was like 26 and two. Ugh, talk about an anti-climax. Yeah, I won the fight. He, pulled, he didn't come out for the six. It wasn't a great fight. He, just what it was what it was anti-climax then i ended up fighting a guy called ruben Varan again not really up for it. He'd, he'd been beaten he'd been stopped by a guy called sebastian z but again i ended up getting ill but again it was a fight you've got to get through you you got to get professional i'm still going to the gym every day i'm still sparring the same rounds i'm still doing the same runs but there's no excitement there anyway i won't go into the whole backstory but when i when it came to the Sturm fight Stern was a big name. He was a long time in the white chamber. I was really excited by the fight. I was motivated. Different level than I had the other times. I was still doing the same. I still trained the same for the same fights. But I didn't have that spring in my step. I didn't have that edge. You look like a man now. I didn't see you prior to those other fights. But I know where you would have been mentally. and Where now, you can see, even talk. You've got that buzz. You're excited. Even sparring.
1: It's, it's different, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. It's so different. It's... I go to bed thinking about it, and I'm like, I'm happy. I go to sleep with a smile. I wake up with a smile. Like I'm, 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 I'm looking forward to going to the gym. Whereas, whereas before it's like, I've got to train tomorrow morning, or I've got, i got, got to go. Oh, I'm gonna be late for the gym. You know, when you're lying in bed and going you, through the motions. A yeah, bit. it's just going through the motions. You're going through the same thing, and but now I'm really excited. I just, I always think it's, it was meant to be because I've been wanting to fight for a long time, and like I said, everything happens for a reason, and. And now it's my chance to go on a massive platform, on a massive show and uh and show everyone what I'm capable of doing. And it's probably the perfect opponent for you. You know, yeah, yeah. even start even like even if you've got the best chocolate oh, style wise. Star wise it's brilliant for me because my last couple have been tall, five foot seven, like five foot seven, five foot eight, you know, guys who are on the on the move, they're long, they're hard to pin down, they don't really wanna get involved, whereas you know what you're getting with him, I'm the bigger man. Um, taller and I'm a wide, wider and i got the longer reach and you know he's going to um, he's going to come, he ain't, ain't going to try and survive in there, he, that's not what he does he's just going to be in my face and try and put me under the caution and, and I'll be there to meet him
2: New guests every week, compelling interviews that you want to hear. Check us out wherever you get podcasts, One Star Recruits. Are you the kind of personality who could feed off a kind of sense of injustice or, or unfair criticism or treatment to kind of, to really fuel you, to really to really get you going because... As you said, it has been a difficult last couple of years, and, and I'll, I, I, I'll admit I've, I've covered the last you know, your last two fights. I got to throw
0: this bit in here. I did tell Andy. I said, by the way, I said stick agreed to do these. I said, it was a good job you didn't ask him because he's got the needle with you. <laughs> 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 now I was, I was,
1: I was going to say I was going to say that you, you do give me a bit of a stick in, in some of these fights, and um, sometimes I think it's a bit bit too negative. You know okay, what I mean? okay, and that's, fair like, enough, yeah, fair enough. And that's why I would say, like, I, I like your work and that, and it, but sometimes I think you're just a bit too unfair and a bit too negative.
2: No, this is good, this is good. Let's 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 go down this road. I'm totally happy to because I know that there will definitely be other fighters who think the same as you because I wouldn't say I'm not ever looking to to dig anyone out because that's not the job. But at the same time, when I see someone and I know that they're better than that, uh, and maybe you're harder on people you have seen more and know better. Okay. Uh, so home fighters, I would probably be harder on, I reckon, without maybe meaning to. But there is... I wouldn't describe you as an overly sensitive soul, I don't think. I don't no, think no, you no, would no. take all that much particularly personally. But as a fighter then, there is, there is kind of... There is a line, you, you would say, where you watch it and you just think, OK, and would you say... Would you say that
1: I should know better than to kind of that I should know where that line is? Sometimes, but then sometimes I th- but then sometimes I'm 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 a realist. so sometimes I think to myself like, you're not really there, so you're watching it on a screen. Sometimes is that right? Like, are you the, watching it back? The one in Monaco, we were there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, um, and are you all right from, in Monaco? Right? Did you do it? Did you do? it? I did. Yeah, I did. Did you? Yeah, yeah. You weren't that bad in Monaco, considering it was my worst performance. <laughs> Um the Carmo Ma- the Carmona one, you're a bit harsh sometimes because then I'd land some good shots and Ma- Matthew would go like Great Shot, but then you'd come back and go, Yeah, but he's a good shot from Carmona <laughs> And I'm thinking that was a dead shot compared to mine. Mine was like <laughs> mine was really effective, he's just like I kind of half deflected that one.
0: I was definitely more sensitive than you thought. <laughs> <laughs>
1: no, but but, but this no, I'm not I really I'm not but but then um then in Providence you you, you liked some of the golden I was doing sometimes, but then but you couldn't see because his back was towards the screen, so like you couldn't see the golden he was doing to me first. Like he was sticking his tongue out at me and that, and I was doing it back, and then you were giving me the stick for doing it because you could see my face but not his.
2: Okay, fair enough,
1: fair enough. <laughs> it's but I do like you though. But it, what you're what, all right. What always
2: <laughs> what, what always occurs to me when well I I, I do watch back everything I do because. Um, you know, not, not not to invite my friends around and dole out the popcorn and everybody say, I'll bring it, I am. That be, imagine that. Uh, but just because, and it's always an issue of fairness. I always watch it back to, th- to see if I think that I got it right. Uh, and I don't always think I have. And when I watched the fight, the Jimenez fight back, I did, I'm not just saying this now, I did think to myself, hmm, I think I probably could have cut him a bit more slack there because he won and he won easily. And it wasn't it wasn't the most appetizing fight he would ever have had in his life. But I do understand why fighters take it personally. How how can you not take it
0: personally? You are going to take it personally. And I think sometimes, again, I'm just saying this as well, sometimes with good fighters who you know are good, you have high expectations of them. And when they don't, Reach you might be more critical of them than someone you might know, get a kid who you didn't have much expectations but boxes quite well. So you're like, oh, you're full of praise, you know what I mean? Because he's better yeah, than you yeah, yeah. thought. Where when you've got someone who you know can, you know what they're capable of, and they're not really performing, you, you can um, you can be quite critical of them then because. But that's because you're holding them to high, higher yeah, standards. Yeah, yeah,
1: I understand that. I get that, but yeah, I understand that.
2: Do you? I mean, how much attention do you pay to it generally? Uh, away from just the the commentary, just just general press coverage of, of of your performances and and of people. Another frustration would be, as you mentioned earlier on, people not really knowing what's going on behind the scenes and thinking, "Ah, he doesn't want to fight him." You know, he's not interested in that fight or this fight, and and maybe questioning your your minerals when they don't yeah, really yeah. know what's what's going on. Is it is it easy just to kind of let it all sail over your head, or or, or not? For,
1: for me personally, yeah, pretty much. I'm um, I'm not one of them guys that I'm not I'm not. Massively active on social media and look look what people are saying about me and things like that. I kind of just live my life. Um, I'm pretty laid back. I like do my work, go home, and enjoy my life outside of the boxing as well. So I don't really look into it that much. Um, as long I just kind of listen to the people who are closest to me and who are, who are real, like my brothers, uh, my trainers, you know, close friends who have, who have known me for years and know boxing. Um, I kind of take everything that they say and if when it's when it's you know criticism then then i know they're telling the truth because you know they know me inside out um i don't really pay pay attention to a lot of people i know I, I've, I've i've seen stuff obviously like the sticker that i have had on social media and that but that kind of stuff doesn't bother me i just I, like i said I, I take positives out of everything and i just i just look at my life where i've come from because if you if if you knew my, and see my upbringing and where i come from and you know the shitholes of being and <laughs> being been through, and I've 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 slept in slept in a bed with two of my brothers, you know what I mean, for years, and in a bottom bunk. <laughs> we 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 come through a, t- through a tough time, but um, but now, like I said the other day, I was I was in my garden and I was I was just thinking like how far I've come and what I've achieved through boxing and what boxing's done for me, um, and I'm just and it's
0: important to do that. It's important to acknowledge. To yourself how far you've come where you're at and then keep your feet but without yeah, yeah yeah letting your head swell keeping your feet on the ground but it's important to enjoy the journey because it happens like that doesn't it yeah you know? it, go, it
1: goes it goes too quick and I'm, I'm one of them guys that doesn't really appreciate what I've what I've achieved sometimes or, or you know not only in boxing but out of boxing and and sometimes it's you know I like to look at it and think yeah you know what I, I, I I take life for granted sometimes. Like sometimes I think, oh, I want to buy that, or I want to buy this car, I want to buy that, you know, that jacket or whatever. And lucky enough, I got a good missus as well. That you know, that that keeps me grounded. I don't. There's no need for me to spend, don't know, a hundred grand on a car or something. You know? uh, but I've got a good enough car. I get in my car and I think, yeah, this is. You know what I say? This is nice. Well, well, I should appreciate this more. Or when I'm when I'm in my house, I think, you know what? Bloody hell, this is a lovely house. I need to appreciate this stuff. This is what boxing's done for me. And, and as a super flyweight, I was I was speaking to somebody yesterday and they were saying 15 years ago, I'd probably have to work as if I was a world champion at super flyweight. Or when I retire, I would have to get a job because the money wasn't great. Whereas, you know, realistically, after this fight, um, I've, I've secured my future. Oh, you come around at a good time, no doubt, but you've also got to
0: uh, win the fights. And you, yeah, you yeah, can, yeah, 100%. And, and what you say you've persevered seven. Even as even as young as when you're only starting out as a hubby, just to, to keep going after seven losses back to back—that's good character, you know. So you persevered you stuck with it, you know. you got—you got, you obviously was fed up that time, and rightly so uh, with the Olympic thing. Not that anyone shafted you, but just the situation, the way it happened, you, you can understand that someone could have got really pissed off at that time, but you stuck with it. So you, you are where you are, and you've achieved what you achieved because you, you've 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 you put the work in.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's it. So then when I do see the criticism I get, it doesn't really you know really offend me or it don't bother me that much because from where I've come from and what I've been through I've, I've done all right the 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 little guys are all right
2: well I think a a kind of aim in life for uh, for a lot of people is to try and not sweat the small stuff that that's a phrase you hear a lot and and it's really easy to say and it's actually quite hard to do I think for for everybody and and, and savoring the moment as well and appreciating the the present staying present that's that's a phrase you hear a lot now that that's also a frustratingly difficult thing to do but particularly if you're an athlete if you're an elite athlete you're hardwired to always think too quickly what's the next thing that i can that i can achieve and that's kind of you know i i 'm an ambitious guy in what in what yeah. I do, but you 're another level you 're another level, and that's kind of that 's kind of your curse really
0: yeah, and I was going to say and you were talking about appreciating the moment and everything and that and it 's important because it goes so quick, but also i I understand because I was this way, I was ambitious, I wanted to be you know i'd be i, I, I want to be british champion i 'd be British champion literally the next day I want to be european champion it 's literally the next thing, what now, what now, and I think that a lot of people that are successful. Amb- ambition is something that that drives them on to be successful. So it's just a it, it, you naturally that's that's your natural state. I think to think what next, keep climbing. But I think so that's why I think we have to make a conscious effort to 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 take in the present, the now, to appreciate it and to, and to acknowledge where you are and how far you've come.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. That's that's exactly uh, that's exactly what needs to be done. And um, you know. God willing I get through this fight and, and, and make a good statement then then I can concentrate on unifying the division and then uh, and then seeing what's next.
2: So final thing, um, do you, you seem pretty meticulous in your planning, not just of, your, of who you want to fight next but as you say, you pay a lot of attention to anything that's gone on in your career, financial, business side of it, all of it. Do you have, I don't expect you to tell me what it is, but do you have a kind of exit strategy, uh a timetable in place by which point you wanna be out?
1: Um I don't have a I don't have a timetable now. But the the the, the time where I stop loving boxing and I don't want to go to the gym, that's when I'll pack it in. I've had enough. That's it.
2: The danger with that is that you could keep the enthusiasm for this for a really long time
0: and you end up. No, no, no. But, but
1: I, think, I think it's something deep down in your soul that you know that you'll know that it's time. I don't know. I don't know if you if you yeah, agree I, with that, I, Matt. But. I,
0: I know now. I mean, obviously, I kept going because I was at a stage then where you're in big fights and you've worked so hard to get there and you can earn a lot of money. And, and it's not that that can change. One day you can be pissed off with the next day. You think, no, it's all right. You know, because you, 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 it's, You you know you realise that when you retire, I did. Once I retire, I'm retired. I'm not coming back. So I didn't want to make that decision lightly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you know, for me, looking back, that what you what you're talking about there, that was I was done after Sergio Martinez. That excitement had had probably gone for me then. But then that doesn't mean to say on certain days training for Golovkin and Alcine and other ones, I was like, I didn't feel it. I did, but the that overall lasting feeling of excitement. Had, uh, had left me after my teeners, but I still boxed on for another four years after that. Mm. But I never never had that same... The look that you've got now, knowing you're fighting Chocolito, That I didn't have that look. After my teeners, I never had that look again. I, I still had days where I felt good in the gym, but I never had that same excitement.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a, I think everyone's different, but... I don't know. I think, I think, I, I think it would take, take me probably... It wouldn't be like straight away, I don't think... But I think it'd probably be a, a a good few weeks or a month to see see how I am, but if I if I kind of I'm a kind of person that likes to come to the gym every day. Like I'm 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 I get that kind of excitement to come to the gym and train every day. But not may not maybe the running and the conditioning side of it, but the boxing side, I kinda of, I love that. So I think once I stop loving that that's when I think maybe I have to start thinking about my future.
2: I think you're right. I think it can definitely creep up on you. I remember Frotch telling us that he was kind of getting back in towards training, because it looked like he might fight Chavez. That might be a Vegas fight, kind of the only thing he hadn't really done. Uh, and he was away and he and he went on a run, uh, was going around a nice lake and he got halfway around and he's looking around himself and he's thinking, God, this is nice. This is a really nice scene. And his calf was hurting a bit and he just stopped. And he said at that point, he just knew. He just said, I never would have done that normally. But rather than thinking about I've got to push through the pain, I was thinking, God, it's a nice day, isn't it? It's a nice day. I could just I could just stop and sit down. And and that and he knew. That was it. It was over. And yeah, maybe it'll be some kind of light bulb moment like that. Can we better let you go. Thanks very much for your time. It's been uh, it's been really interesting this. Uh, thanks. And we wish you the best of luck at the end of at the end of February. Sometimes when I say that athletes say, Oh, I don't need luck. Everybody needs a bit we of all
1: luck. Need to rubber the green.
2: Absolutely. So um Yes, we will we, we'll be watching that fight with great interest as I'm sure everybody who listens to Macklin's Take will be. Thanks everybody for, uh, for listening as always and if you could get onto iTunes and give us a rate and subscribe, that would be fantastic and we'll be back again soon. Someone
0: sneaking round the corner Could that someone be Mac the knife
1: there's a tugboat down by the river, don't you know? Where a cement bag just drooping on down. Oh, that cement is
0: just, it's there for the weight to dare. Five will get you ten old Mackeys back in town.
1: Sports Social Podcast Network